Welcome to the podcast of Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. I get the privilege to introduce our speaker, um, George Whitfield, the famous preacher. No, actually, George Whitfield, my father-in-law. I have immense love and respect for for George. Um, He has shown me love and grace as my father-in-law, and he raised a wonderful um, daughter uh, who I am privileged to call my wife, Amy. So um, he hails from Texas uh, originally, but uh, they live in Kansas now. Uh, if uh, you would all welcome um, George Whitfield. Glad we don't uh, welcome by applause and things like that. Uh, thank you. Anyway. Thank you for the lure, by the way. As, uh, the scriptures will become fisher of men. And so take it from there. Uh, let me just... Uh, Begin by sharing it's a privilege to be able to be with you. And we uh, arrived uh, yesterday evening about, what time we get here? Five? Anyway, drove all the way up from a little place called Winfield, Kansas. And uh, if you like bluegrass music and flat picking and stuff like that, uh, in September they have a national and international festival uh, so if you enjoy that give it check out anyway I never have been so I mean I enjoy it but I never have been anyway I uh, am in awe by the opportunity to share wherever it may be uh, chapel a chaplain for about 20 years in correctional facilities and I was always in awe to share there with guys and men who had come to know the Lord and who was seeking to know the Lord and uh, uh, to realize that this is the people of God. Uh, You are the people of God. I don't share this morning with others. I share with God's people. And that's awes me that I would have a privilege and opportunity and responsibility. It humbles me frightens me to be quite frank and uh, so I ask your prayers for grace and for wisdom that the Lord will speak to our hearts and when I say our hearts I really do mean our, our hearts by the way if I if I have a floating R every once in a while like wash uh, if I have that floating R that's in that you you bear with me I'm from Texas and I, that's the way I talk Uh, But uh, we'll do the best we can anyway. As we uh, share together, uh, I thank you for your pastor, a son-in-law who has a love for God, has great wisdom. I'm in uh, in all of his training and skill and ability, and uh, uh, he will be taking notes, I'm sure. And, um, and then he'll be addressing my shortcomings, I'm sure, later. 
Uh, no, he will not do that because I won't let him anyway. But um, uh, I do thank him anyway. Um, as we come this morning, and this being Father's Day, uh, I'm so extremely thankful for my dad and for the person that he was, the person, the person that he came to be when. Uh, my father, when I grew, started growing, when I started in the home, anyway, and, uh, when I was young, he was not a believer. He did not know Christ as a Savior. And during those years, uh, the Lord got a hold of his heart and turned him, and he repented and died to self, accepted Christ as his own personal Lord and Savior. And... Uh, he came to be in my life probably the most formative person in my whole life. And I've heard professors and I've heard uh, great pastors, and, but he is still the most formative person in my life. Was he perfect? No, he wasn't. He, he really disciplined me too much, I think. And uh, I, I say that in jest, but... Uh, uh, he he was not perfect. He he fell short, and uh, just like you and I fall short and come short of, of being all that God would have us to be. And we're thankful to a God who knows us, who loves us, who saved us, and does not abandon and does not forsake us in our walk and our fellowship with Him. Um, I have a photograph on Facebook that horrible. Invention. I'm not sure who created that, but uh, I succumbed to being on Facebook, and, and uh, uh, there's a photograph of my dad back when he ran a gas station. He worked at night during the gas station, and uh, I and my mother and my brother, who lived in a one-bedroom house behind that gas station, which was far, far smaller than this building, both of them put together, uh, I, uh, uh, we would work and give him a break during the daytime. I am thankful for the things he's taught me about God, to trust God, to rely upon him, to, to walk with him. And uh, I just thank God for my dad. Um, one other work, word I might say is that uh, sometimes people have dads and have had dads who were less than what they were to be. I was preaching at a youth camp one time, and as I was sharing, I was talking about our Heavenly Father and how our fathers exhibit those qualities to us. And I had a young lady come up after the service, and she was upset and crying. And she said, I don't know what a father is like what you're talking about because my father abuses me and my father hurts me and my father is angry and a lot of time he's drunk. How do I relate to a father like that? And I'll be honest, I didn't have a whole lot to share with her and accept to the place of saying there is a father. Instead of abuse, he gives us grace. Instead of hurt, he gives us joy. 
And instead of coming and creating hurt and pain in our life, He builds us up. And that Father is God the Father. And try to share with her. I'm thankful for dads who know the Lord and who live for the Lord day by day. Our text this morning talks about a father. His name is David. And it's found for us in Chronicles, First uh, Chronicles, in chapter 22 and in verse 6. Now, um, I get to go with my son occasionally to a church down in Texas, and that pastor there says, not everybody may know enough about the Bible to find a certain book, and so give them hints. Well, I'm going to give you a hint. First Chronicle comes right before Second Chronicles. And so if you find that, you will locate it and go from there. Um, it is a section of scriptures that deal with King David and his son Solomon. And we're going to take, and I just want to read a passage, and then we'll unfold that a little bit. And then we'll also look at other passages as it relates to that. In verse 6 of 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Then he called for Solomon. And this is David. His son and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you. He shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. And he shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son. I hear that. He shall be my son. And I will be his father. I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Let's pause just a moment and for just a word of prayer, okay? Father God, we thank you for the, the wonder and the depth of your love to us and your grace. We are, all of us, broken and frail individuals. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Father, our, our, our very beings are by your doing, our creation, our life, that of your gracious work. And Father, we just foul up. We just at times, Lord, are so so out of fellowship with you, Lord, that our hearts break. 
And Father, in your grace and your love, you care for us. You do not abandon us. You don't put us out. But you, you and your gracious work continue to deal with us. And Father, even now, we are in desperate need of, of your word. These have not come to hear what I have to say. We don't need words from men. We need your word, God. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts. Calls us to listen and calls us to know the, uh, the vastness of the importance of listening to you and hearing what you're saying to our lives. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Taking a look for just a moment at this passage, we see here Solomon the one who will become king. We know somewhat about Solomon already because of many other sermons that you probably have even heard about. Solomon was given the opportunity to ask for anything, any wealth, anything he wanted. And what did he choose? Chose for wisdom, for understanding. Now, I, I think that might have related because he had also been given a task to build the temple. And, but I also think he had come to understand that his father now is not just David, but his father is God the Father. Now, if we come to the awareness that God is our Father and He is God, comprehending and trying to comprehend the vastness of that, of that itself, that He is God, then might not it be a wise thing to pray, God, give me wisdom that I might just know You and who You are. In the last days and these times in my life, after some years, I have begun to again freshen You and say, God, Help me to understand deeper of who you are. Here I am, uh, I have pastored for many years, served as a chaplain for many years, told a lot of people about God. And I just come back and I say, God, it's like I'm just beginning to understand who you are. Teach me who you are. And Solomon says, Lord, grant me wisdom and understanding. It is in this then that uh, David uh, comes and he is in that role of being uh, his uh, earthly father. David is on up in years. Solomon at this time, we are really not sure of his age, probably somewhere around in his teens, late teens, middle teens. We're not really, really sure. But dealing with the uh, the fact of how the sequence are within other things, somewhere within his team suggested. David, on the other hand, is old. Anybody here old? Well, anyway, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm there. Uh, he's old. He's owned up in years. He has known a lot of battles. He has known a lot of things. And uh, he is at the ending of his life. As we look within that, we find that Solomon was a son of, anybody know? One called Bathsheba. 
Now we all remember the story, or some of us remember the story about David and Bathsheba and that which took place. And uh, as that first child that was born to Bathsheba died, and sought in David in the book of Samuel, in chapter in Second Samuel, uh, loved Bathsheba, and then there came another child, and. Uh, that one was Samuel, uh, was uh, Solomon. Have I been saying Samuel for the time? Good. Okay. Sometimes my mind doesn't want to say what I wanted to do, or my my mouth anyway. Name was Solomon. Now remember the background. David Bathsheba, first child dies. There's been, throughout David's life, there's been things like Absalom, 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 oh my son, Absalom, I would have died for you. And there's been wars and conflicts and difficulties and problems and fightings and bloodshed. And the scripture says in 2 Samuel and verse 12 and verse 24, that God loved Solomon. God loved Solomon. The audacity of God. (laughs) Think of his heritage in the background. Why would God choose to love someone who comes out of relationship between David and Bathsheba and then the problems that have been there? God has the audacity to do what he pleases to do. And if he says, I love you, I love you, I love you, then he has a right of doing that because what? He's God. And he can choose to love whomever he chooses to love. And the humbling thing that I had this morning when I stood and looked in the mirror is that he loved me. I can say a lot of stuff about David and Bathsheba that are found in the scriptures, but I can say even more about the unworthiness of this person. And he loved me. Now, by the way, if you think that ideal about David, and by the way, David did something towards Bathsheba's first husband. Now, you talk about a sordid background. This is a sordid background. His name was Uriah. And David finally had Uriah in the midst of the battle and what happened within that is that he told the commander, he says, at a certain time in the very heat of the battle, you withdraw so that Uriah can be killed. Basically, almost the same thing as committing murder. Now, if you turn to the book of Matthew, and in chapter 1, And you read the genealogy of Christ, our Savior, the Son of God come to earth, the Messiah, the hope of Israel, the one who saves and who delivers, the one who comes to bring you hope and new life into these broken, broken people as we are, who transform you from death to life who died upon Calvary to pay the price for your stinking life. Now, by the way, when I say your stinking life, that's one finger going out, that's three fingers coming back, and mine is more stinking than yours will ever be. 
but he died to cleanse up and to clean our lives. What a Savior is Jesus our Lord. And in the genealogy it says that Solomon was in that genealogy. It is through Solomon that that God brings about His work. And if you read there in Matthew chapter 1, guess who He says? And He does say who is the mother. It doesn't say just Bathsheba. But it says the wife of Uriah. Boy. <laughs> you talk about something going on. This one who would be a father to Solomon and in the genealogy, God doing work. There's, there's so much there to look at. That, uh, and by the way, I told I had an hour. Is that... Is that yeah. Okay. I think that was... No. Anyway. Be careful. Be careful about how you treat other people. Please, please. God chose to love Solomon. (laughs) We don't know whom God has chosen to love. And that one that just may irk you to death. That just drives you crazy. That just lets get all in and over and through you. And turn you from being such a wonderful, pretty little saint. To being a grumbling, hateful individual. God. Love. To that person. Be careful. You never know whom God's chosen to love. In fact, we ought to just work on the basis that we're just going to love anybody because we don't know who are those whom He chose to love and those whom He chose not to love. And I'm not going to get in theology over that. Don't miss, not going to go there. But we come to the place of then being a people. In fact, it says it is going to be by love that people would know that we are believers. Nothing else is stated so boldly about us being believers as the fact that we have a love one for the other. Look around. Start here. Love one another. I don't like him. I don't care. I don't like her. I don't care. Love one another. Now that's hard words. And... uh, we hadn't even even got to the introduction yet, so don't worry. We've got other things to look at. Be careful. Briefly in this place that we find for us is that we come and we look at that David is old. Things have happened. He calls his son. And he says, Solomon, you're going to be the one to build the temple. I can't do it. The reason I can't do it is because God told me I couldn't do it. Because I had slain too many people. David was a man of warfare. He was a man of bloodshed. And God says, nope, David, you're not going to do it. David had a heart. He wanted to do that. He wanted to do that. He wanted to do that. And God said, no. 
and at that place. Convinced now that God's way is a better way, and by the way, God's way is always a better way, get in tune within that and finding out God's way instead of your way. Uh, he comes to places saying, Uriah, uh, that not Uriah, but Solomon is going to do it. The uh, one whom uh, is the son of, uh, of Bathsheba, she will build the te- he will build the temple. Within all of that that takes place, uh, he comes and surrenders up his right. He calls Dave, uh, Solomon and he points out to them then that which he would do. Tremendous, tremendous account. And there are so much, there's so much more within that that we're not going to get into, so don't worry about that. But I want to, I want to go back one step, one step more. Seeing how God uses a father and his son to bring about his word. We're not going to read it, but I'm going to walk through just a little bit the previous chapter. Now, what is the previous chapter? Chapter 21. I, I, I tell you, I'm sharp at this. Chapter 21. And in chapter 21, we have these accounts of some things that take place. In verse 1, it says, And then Satan stood against Israel. I'm not sure all of that which means uh, it takes place. I am, also, I am sure that it is only happens because God has allowed it to take place. There comes a fact that Satan is against Israel. By the way, Satan is against you. He's not on your side. There's nothing in this world that uh, is of this world that's of Satan that is on and wants for your best. Get over it. Leave it. Forsake it. Abandon it. Give it up. He's not for you. He is against you. And he's against Israel at this place. And it comes to the place within that that uh, Solomon gets an... Have you ever had what you thought was a bright idea and it was just really stupid? Well, that's what, that's what David gets. Yeah, I said David and Solomon there mixed up. David had the idea that what he would do, remember he is king, he can do what he wants to. There's nobody out there going to tell him, David, you can't do this. And David decides he is incited in some fashion, I believe by Satan, to come and count the people. He is told by a friend, why are you doing this? We don't need to do this. He says, we're going to do it. He did it. Came up with over a hundred, one million, one hundred thousand in Israel and over, I believe, four hundred and seventy thousand in Judah. And he says, look how great we are. Be careful when you begin to look how great you are in any fashion, in any foundation, in any way. Money, things are your own quote, service unto the Lord. Now that didn't sound right, did it? But it's true. If I begin to gloat in anything that I've done for the Lord, then there's something desperately wrong with our brokenness before God. As if I can do anything that's going to come and win His affection in any sense. 
The only thing that I have found in the scripture that he is pleased is is when in my praise and adoration of him. Uh, David says, count the people, God is not pleased. And the scripture says in verse 7, and God was not pleased with the thing, and he struck Israel. Now what happens is that comes to the place is that David now is caught in this place that he's done something against God. What do you do when you've done something against God? You confess it. You say, Lord, I've messed up. And if you go on down to verse 8, and David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing, but now please take away the iniquity of my servant, of your servant, meaning himself, for I have acted very foolishly. Now notice his focus is still upon himself. Take away the iniquity of your servant. A seer, a prophet, a man of God comes to David and says, you tell him, God says to seer, tell him, tell him that he has, that I, I, I forgive sin, but I also come to the place, I'm going to bring judgment upon it. And if you read through the next portion, I'm not going to do it very briefly to put it together. He says, tell David he can choose one of three judgments. I'm going to get where I'm going to get, so bear with me. One judgment would be is that he would send a famine in the land. No food, you know, famine, drought, for three years. That'd be tough. I lived in Texas, and there were times... Well, anyway. Secondly, he says, either the second thing that I will do, and you can choose, David, you can choose to have warriors, another army, come into the land to destroy the land, to ravage the land for three months. Three years, three months. Well, maybe it would be better to go with the three months. But then God says, or you can have the angel of the Lord come and wreak destruction upon the land for not three years, not three months, but three days. Now, I don't know whether David was wise in choosing one or the other, but he chose the latter one of those. And I don't know why God sometimes, when we confess our sins, says, I forgive you, and we move on. And other times we confess our sins, and he says, I forgive you, but you get to deal with the consequences. And here, David gets to deal with his consequences of what he's done. And the judgment comes. David chooses the latter. In just a short time, three days now, 70,000 of the men of Israel die. And the angel of the Lord then moves towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem did not have all the significance as of yet. The temple had not been built. But he would move towards Jerusalem. It was a place that was important to David. And the scripture identifies for us is that the angel had, as it were, his sword extended and ready to strike. And God said, it's enough. Stop. Now, at that time, the angel should have taken the sword and stuck it back in the sheath. Put it away. Guess what? He didn't do it. The angel still had the sword in his hand, ready to strike. 
And David comes and he cries out before God and he confesses. And if you go to the last portion of, uh, let me see, read about verse 17. Let me just read the verse. And David said to God, was it not I who gave commands to name to number the people? Uh, it is I who have sinned and done great evil. But these sheep, and I don't think he's talking about sheep. These people. Could be talking about sheep. Sheep are important, by the way. But I think he's talking about people. What have they done? Please let your hand, O oh Lord my God, be against me. And against my father's house. But do not let the plague be on your people. Do you see a similarity between here of something that's going to happen years and years and later in the city of Jerusalem when one offers himself for the sins of all mankind? I think it is not too far-fetched to go ahead and to see some things that lay the foundation and mark the groundwork of the Christ who will offer himself who had done no evil, unlike David, but who comes and he gives himself as a propitiation for sin, the payment for sin, the atonement of mankind upon Calvary. It is said at this place that the angel of the Lord commanded the seer to then say, build me an altar." At this place, which was a thrashing floor. Know what a thrashing floor is? Wheat, chaff, separated, winnowing, wind blowing the shaft away, all of that taking place. Stock rocking around on the, the grain to separate it. All of that happening. And God says, here, you build me an altar. God goes to one and says, I believe his name is Orman, O-R-M-A-N, a Jebusite. And as he comes, he says, give me this land. I will pay for it. Orman says, I'll give you the land and I'll give you the oxen. You don't pay me anything. I'll just give it to you. Boy, what a deal. I don't have to pay anything. Would you take it? David had learned something at this place that we need to learn. You don't offer to God that which costs you nothing. You don't give to God that which is not a sacrifice. And if you drop down in verse 24, it says, And King David said to Orman, No, but I will buy them for a full price. Now you can ask any price you want to. And I will not take for the Lord what is yours. <laughs> I'll not take from the Lord what's yours. Because it's not yours, it's being dealt with, it's what is mine. And he says, nor offer burnt offering that cost me not a, nothing, zero. There is a need of coming to comprehend and understanding. Oh God, may we learn 
that God is not, God is not excited a moment about the stuff that we give him as leftovers before God. He just wants to go, you know, and I'm sorry, that's not biblical. Can I erase this? Um, um, okay. uh, that's, he says, nothing. and yet we do it all the time. And sometimes money is the least of that. And we may get real convicted. And give God a great deal. I've heard of one man who said, I'm going to live on 10%. Give God 90%. I believe his name is it was eternal. Anyway, he is a builder of heavy duty equipment. Lives in Longview, Texas. I believe it's Longview. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. Said, I'm going to give 90%. I'll live on 10%. Turner. Huh? Turner. That's what he comes to do. I'll live on 10. You know what I have a hard time dealing with? Giving up my pride. I'd rather hold on to my pride than give up all my money. Maybe sometimes it is simply give up my, my little preconceived ideals about what other people are and are not. Surrendering those things. Giving those things up. He comes to the place that he says, I'm not going to offer to God that which costs you me nothing. Play around with that in your mind sometime. What have you been giving to God that really doesn't cost you one flipping thing? And ask yourself, is God really, really excited about that? It's whole lot harder for me to be loving towards someone. There's a gentleman in the church that I attend, and we and and we had been through with a pulpit committee, and it was difficult. It was hard. Unkind things were said. Accusations were made, and uh, it took a while for me to learn how to give that up and to love him. Teaching a Sunday school class, we called them ABF, Adult Bible Fellowship. And the Lord, through the circumstances of our lives, moved us from teaching a class to the place of not being able to teach because of caring for family members that live a great distance away. And so we chose to go to a Sunday school class, different than the one that I was teaching and the one that he moved us into, guess who was a member of that class? That same, same guy. Same guy. And the Lord had, 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 had to do a work in the sense of my pride. What? It cost me nothing to remain angry, to be friend with somebody else, to ignore him and not be a part of his life. But he's a member of the church of God and he's a member of this church of fellowship. And I don't have the option of whether I'm going to choose or not to choose to be a loving person towards him. It's already decided in God's word. Be ye kind one to another, love one another. It's already set. And you know, I, I've come to appreciate Steve 
more so and thankful for him, I could never, ever, had ever imagined that taking place. What a God. What a God who works like that. <coughs> well, what happens then? They offer the sacrifices. God answers by sending fire. And at that place then, at that time, the scripture says, he says, this is a place where the temple is to be built. This is the location. Bought the land had the altar, God answered by fire, it is sealed, this is a place that God wants the temple to be built. Jerry, there's sermons there, and you don't go that way, but there's stuff there that I would like. The threshing floor, uh, there's stuff to look within that of how God in a church, and this becomes a church temple, the, uh, the people of God, the, the winnowing, the separating the wheat and the chaff. You know, churches now are all the pleasant thing that sometimes we would like them to be. Sometimes it's like Corinth. And there were good and evils. And God in the place of winnowing, of separating the wheat from the chaff. And that's God's gracious work. That's not my work. I just keep on loving Him. They keep on loving everybody else and just getting on with what He has. And let God do His work in that whole situation. There's also the fact that the atonement of God that takes place. What did you do at an altar? You offer sacrifices. Animals slain. Made right, the fire of God comes. And at that place then, that there is forgiveness of sin. Christ was slain. Died for my place. Forgiveness of sin. And I'm free, I'm His, I belong to Him. Not because of not one stinking thing that I can do except to receive from the Lord Jesus Christ the abundance of hope and life and victory that is in Him. And it is at that place that He puts away the sheath of the sword into the sheath. Atonement has been made. We are the people of God. Look around. You're God's people. People were looking at you and saying, that's God's people. That's God's people here in this community. That's what God looks like. That's what God is about. That's what God fashions. That's what God forms. This is God's people. Are you perfect? I don't, I don't know most of you. I know Jared, and he's not perfect yet, but he's getting there. I've known Amy longer, and I know she's not. Well, anyway, you can't. I shouldn't go there. They're forgiven. We're God's people. And there's nothing in this world that's more important than that of God and what He's doing within a people that belong to Him. You are important. We're just so small. We're not very many. You are important because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, gave His life, has redeemed you, and has called you to Himself to be in Him, to live in Him, and to know the victory that's in Him. I am His bride, and He is the groom, and He is the love of my life. It says in some place in the book of uh, Song of Solomon's, and boy, that's a tough book to go through. 
but uh, there's a place it says that she says about uh, her lover that uh, I know I belong to him and he desires me. Now, I think it's talking about a husband and wife relationship, but I think it is also talking about Christ in the church. I belong to him. I belong to Christ. Whatever the world may do, it doesn't make any difference. I belong to Christ. I'm His. I'm His. And to that then, I know that He wants me. Now between a husband and a wife, that's a precious thing. Between Christ and the church, that's a precious thing. It is that that prepares David's heart to build the temple and to be the father and to get his son to a place of being ready to build the temple. I believe chapter 21 had to take place, had to take place for him to get to the place of of being uh, the one. He died to his wants, gave them up, came to the place of saying, Solomon, you be strong. You be steadfast. By the way, we're not going to finish this today. Invite me back someday and I'll finish up this. But uh, I was told by Jerry, how long did I have? This is about the time. This is about it. Okay. He said to shut up and sit down. Uh, Not really. He's very gracious. Uh, But I, I, I want to respect that. We didn't really get into too much of the text. There is just so much. So much of God's work in here. What a Savior. If you don't know God, get to know God. If you don't know Him very well, every day spend time with Him. Every day. Just be astonished at God. Be amazed at God. Love Him. And let Him love through you towards everybody else. Pick out the one person in a community that you have a hard time loving the most. Well, they won't ever love me. I don't care. Love them. Pick out the one person in the church that you need to love. Then do it. Just do it. Get on with what God... Wouldn't it be great when God's people began to be God's people? We wouldn't have the lot of garbage that we have in our old world today if we would just simply be the wonderful, blessed, redeemed people of God. What a Savior is Jesus our Lord. I, I, I am, I'm not going to apologize, but I do apologize for not getting into more of the direct text uh, There is just so much here of God's grace and God's Word. Solomon built the temple, by the way. And I'll close with this. I'll go to the end of the story. Uh, If you go to chapter uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, I'll just read it for you. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, and this is inside the temple, what happened? Fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests, <laughs> hear this, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord. Why couldn't they enter the house of the Lord? Because the fullness of the presence of God was there, and they themselves were not, even though they were priests, they themselves could not enter. 
could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord of the temple, they bowed down and with their faces to the ground and on the pavement uh, and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, For He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Don't forget, God is good. In fact, it's the only, only one who is good. And He is good. Father God, uh, how much you love us, how great, how great is your salvation, unworthy, unworthy, unworthy we are. And God, we just stand amazed at your care. Forgive us of sin. Father, make us vessels pleasing in your sight. Give us a longing for you. Father, give us a fresh vision of you as being God. And that's more important than anything else. And Father, use us always. Thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for dads who love you and who led their sons to be faithful to you. Even if it might mean their death, they would still be faithful to you. And fathers who would be willing to train up their sons and their children to follow you, no matter what. And in our day and age, God, that no matter what is becoming a reality. And I thank you, Father, for for fathers and for moms and for grandparents who lead their children to hunger and thirst after the living God. Into your hands we surrender. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We are yours. And we praise you, O God. You are good. And your steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.